0: Psalms 132, it's in the God of David, song of ascents. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah, we found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle, let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For your servants, David's sake, do not turn away the face you anointed, The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation. And her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame. But upon himself his crown shall flourish.
1: Let's open up with the word of prayer and invite the Lord um, into this time and this place, we believe that what, what, what we're in is a box. Um, but who is in here is the church. And we're gathered for the single purpose of, of knowing God better today, um, that we could know ourselves better together, uh, better today, um, and that that will improve our tomorrow. With with outlook of joy, with a with a testimony of truth and victory, and with um, with an urgency to see God where He belongs. Jesus, thank you for this time. This is a this is a holy place, and it's set apart for you and your purposes. Uh, you use big language in your scriptures describing your people, and it's all premised on who you are, Jesus. You are the, the, the supreme royal priest and the king of kings, and we want to know you better through this, this passage that was written over 3,000 years ago. Bless this time, bless this place, bless this people. God, soften our hearts, open us up to your spirit. May only your truth be spoken here in Jesus' name. So, uh, we're one of, this is the second to the final songs of Ascent. Um, It is the longest. It is uh, fascinating. It's beautiful, and we're going to get into that, and is long. So we may be here till 7 or 8 p.m. We'll see. But we better get going. And so this is our, uh, just to remind us, this is our artwork for this week. Compliments of Anna Widman. And it's beautiful and very appropriate. I don't want to spoil too much, but can you see at least four things in this image? What do you see? Wings? People? A valley. Yeah, you, you get a sense that these wings are also sort of representing maybe mountains. One more. What was that? Oh, uh, no, that's a good guess. And it is really faint, and it's probably just uh, the power of the, the projector, but there, there, are, there are rays of, of light radiating in. And um, those are all massively appropriate uh, for today's texts, and we'll get into that as soon as we deal with some uh, appropriate, uh, here we go, some appropriate science. And this is just a commercial. It's straight up commercial. Uh, (laughs) Less than 20, I think somewhere around 20 hours from now, this is going to happen. Compliments of your government who shelled out, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of the equivalent value of three 737 900s. About $400 million, a little shy of $400 million dollars. Um, for this guy, the DART spacecraft. Is anybody tracking this? Has, has anyone? Um, uh, I I haven't either. Really, I just noticed it in the news. I'm like, oh, cool, DART. Um, but stands for Dual Asteroid Re trajectory test or something like that. Uh, anyway. The the basic premise is they want to sh- they're shooting this this little satellite guy at this rock which is about tenth of a mile across and it's actually orbiting this larger rock which is about a half a mile across and um, this is all out of a mandate that happened um, I don't know how many years ago where I think Congress asked NASA to categor- ca- uh, to catalog all of the near-Earth asteroids that could become a problem because some of these big guys, when they hit Earth, could take out cities or even more. And so this is a test to see if they can redirect, yeah, redirect, that's the R, redirect dimorphous. Um, So it's traveling this way, and and, um, they're going for a straight shot with this dart craft to hit it. Head on essentially, and see how much they can slow it down, which they will find out by seeing a change in its orbital period and it depends on how dense it is, and well, hopefully they hit it. I think they will they but if you want to know tomorrow I think one uh, I think it 's five p m eastern time check the clock uh, it 's going to happen, so just a little. Little, little commercial, but it's also really cool because I think it gives us some perspective of, man, we can do a lot of things, but we're talking about a little near-Earth asteroid and maybe making an impact on it. And the more you scan out there, the bigger the universe is And until the point you just realize we are we're literally, our little Earth and, and these asteroids are specks compared to the cosmos God created. And we can affect very little change in our own power, even uh, even uh, as we pool our, our energy and our, our minds. Uh, it's a cool thing, but God's cooler. So <laughs> let's jump into it. But it is kind of appropriate for, for today's text because this text almost just... Stretches us from here to heaven, I mean it literally in a sense has that sense to it so let's let 's get going uh, this psalm one thirty two is one of several royal song, psalms, and they 're specifically written for kings they 've been written for various kings and uh, is typically as you might imagine um, uh, verbiage, talking about how the king is kind of responsible to God to do what God wants. He's he's a, he's a, an understudy, really, and just sort of a pointer to, to the one who's really doing all the work. Um, and these royal psalms all convey that. And 132 is specifically about David, and so it's not necessarily these chronological because as we've talked about before, the Psalms of Ascents have been sort of reorganized, uh, written at different times, just for this this purpose of of the ascents, whatever that is. I stick with the pilgrimage kind of thing, you know. Just having these, you're you're on your way up to Jerusalem, kind of going up, and and so is just the just the magnitude of what you're pondering as we as you go over these Psalms. Um, so next, uh, oh, and there's a lot in here. There just simply is, and it, it's it uh, it's really a sort of a, an intersection point where we can really ponder just the temple and the ark and God's presence and Zion and the place on the planet where Zion is right now, occupied uh, by not. Christians. Uh, so, if you want to know all, sort of all the psalms that speak to this, or a lot of them, I, I kind of just ran out of time. But there's a good list of them if you do the uh, text, our uh, radiant text number, just the word ark, upper or lowercase. And you'll just get a, a list of these. It's a lot of great psalms, just a lot of different ways of just how the temple and the ark are just paramount, obviously, to God's presence. Okay? So, uh, this psalm has a, has a basic structure. And we're just going to walk through it in this structure. And we start out literally with a prayer for David. And so, A, B, and C are kind of on David's side. And we, see, we hear about, you know, there's a prayer for David. And then we talk, we're going to talk through David's devotions. And David's concern for God's place on the planet. As uh, A, B, and C. And then A prime, A, B. And this is just the the, um, companions. So the companion for A is another prayer for David. And then God's reward to David is is laid out in 11 and 12. And finally, God's presence in Zion. Okay? So we're going to walk through this. Try to catch some things. We're not going to catch all the things. But uh, what I've, I kind of skipped over. What I've come up with a title for this sermon is Urgent Pursuit of Peace. Urgency that's spoken in this psalm. Uh, I would pray over this body. And my life. And my decisions. So, with that, let's get going. A prayer for David, one. And uh, we're going to kind of cruise through this and just pick up on some key words. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor. Remember, in Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured. And God... God remembers. He is a God who remembers. He doesn't forget. And there are a lot of great scriptures about that. He remembered Noah and gave him dry ground and a new place to start. He remembered Rachel and Hannah. who cried out. And he remembered them and gave them children. One of those children was Joseph, who... uh, did amazing things to move God's plan forward. Uh not quite yet, sorry. David's favor, that's a really important term because you know what? Some of the hardship David endured, and I know all about this, was self-inflicted. Um actually There's a lot of David's life that reads like a train wreck. And no, it's it's rough. It's rough, and I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. And David is set up there as God's the guy. He's the guy. But we're going to see why, because David has just a redirecting algorithm that gets him pointed back at God. That's what David's all about. But some of the, uh, <laughs> I mean, a lot of stuff was out of his hands. I mean, that Saul guy was, he was beyond bummer. It was, it was literally a bad deal, that King Saul. Um, but favor, yeah. David's experienced as much grace as anyone else. And grace has to be preeminent in this conversation as we move forward. All right. Let's move on. This is where he's kind of, re, re, he's, he's pointed back at zero and he's, he's just simply swearing to the Lord and, which is always a dangerous thing because this didn't actually happen, but just the zeal of this, of this, uh, this commitment, he swore to the Lord and he vowed the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house, I won't, I won't go to bed, I won't give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until... I find a place for the Lord, the mighty one of Jacob. It kind of speaks for itself. And for David, there's a lot of backstory there, right? He's saying this at a time when um, the Ark of the Covenant, we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. The Ark of the Covenant is out under a tent. And, and David's like, that's just not right. And it's not right. I mean, he, he had a palace, and he said, why am I in a palace? And he's in a tent. And the reality is, yeah, why? Because there's not much scripture that talks about the theology of the king's palace. It was just home. And in David's palace, you know, it was sometimes a bad place, just straight up. So his eyes are focused on God's house and the zeal of having God in the right position. So I think that's how we read that. Next, we'll move on. I better open my notes to make sure I don't miss too much. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. Anybody got a better Ephrathah? Ephra? Yeah. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. So, anyway, this sort of speaks back to the, the backstory of the ark. Remember, it was lost. And uh, in 2 Samuel 6, they found the ark, decided to move it. Didn't go well. Um, if you remember the part about Uzziah, am I, I'm not slaughtering that, I don't think. I mean, he did a, a, a an action, just a responsive, reactive uh, action, and he tried to keep the the ark from tipping over, and God said, no, you don't touch this. You're not, you are not holy enough to touch this, and he died. And David maybe got a little more zeal out of that experience because he was there to see it. And he had a sense of awe, deep sense of awe, which Usually comes out um, in a term we, would, we throw around as the fear of the Lord. And David never lost that. Because the fear of the Lord goes from straight up run and hide to zeal, this kind of zeal. And David, <laughs> you can see it in this language. He's like, we're going to worship at his footstool. And this starts to speak of the spreading of heaven and earth because heaven is God's throne and earth is Zion, the place for God. That's his footstool. And so we've got to remember, man, the best we're going to get in, in this picture is to go praise God's feet in, in, a, in a temple here on earth. And David is super excited about that. It's like a glimpse of God is better than no glimpse at all. That's the fear of the Lord speaking. And then his prayer, let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints, what? Yes, shout for joy. And um, I'm going to do a quick recap of my week of how many times I shouted for joy. Well, maybe there's always next week. It's a good reminder. It's a good reminder. I mean, literally, that this zeal that you can't contain comes out as a shout of joy. That actually sounds pretty good. And that is not out of our grasp. It's not. So that's sort of the groundwork. We've got uh, the, these first three sections of Psalm 132. Here's the fear again. For the sake of your servant David. Don't turn your face away. Don't turn your face away. We've seen it time and time again of God coming right to the border of turning his face away from the Israelites and that's when they got serious. And David knows it too. That's tantamount to living outside of his light, his presence, and there is nothing but darkness and hopelessness. All the stuff that we sang about that Jesus came to defeat and that's here in verse 10 don't turn your face away yeah we're good and here's God's answer for the sake of your servant David do not oops I'm sorry here's here's God's answer <laughs> The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back out of one of the sons of your body. I will sit on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on the throne. This language is simply God's promise. And it's been in, in play since David was anointed by, by Samuel uh, uh, in around 1,000 years before Christ showed up. And it's a promise that's sure. With a little caveat... Keeping the commandments. Keeping his covenant. Well, we know for a fact that uh, David had a, a heart after God, but he failed. He had sin in his life. And even though he repented, he did not hold up to the standards of the covenant. Now, uh, Reasonably, God was faithful in supplying uh, the keeping the line of David um, active, uh, at least on the on the, on the northern or on the southern thrones on the southern throne. Because remember, it only took three generations for things to go really, really, really bad, and it's not surprising because things had already gone. Well, I won't get into details. Really bad. So there was David, there was Rehob- there was Solomon, and then Solomon's son Rehoboam, and it was a disaster. And from that, we see the kingdom split, and the birth of Samaria, the new worshiping place for the for the the Northerners. Um, things went bad, but God's promise remained. And here's why. No? Okay. Well, we all have Bibles. (laughs) Read it in front of us. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Think of a God that's gone this far for David and his people. For he I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation. And her saints will shout for joy. Notice the change here. This is parallel with verse uh, 9, I believe. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness in verse 9, and your saints shout for joy. And in 16, her priests I will clothe, I will clothe with salvation. So this is not just a royal uh, psalm. It's a messianic psalm. There's no question about this, that this is pointing to Jesus and the salvation he will bring. And her saints will shout for joy. Now, one thing I kind of skipped over, and, and it's, it's worthwhile to just take a quick look. Um, we're talking about, remember where we are? Um, David had the ark in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was going to be renamed Zion. Zion the city of David, and there was no temple. So, um, and there, and uh, this, so this is post-tabernacle, pre-temple. And you might rightly ask, well, which temple, right? Because there was the first temple that Solomon built, and what happened to that temple? It was destroyed because they didn't follow God's commands and they followed other gods and they didn't believe, they didn't have faith, and they didn't rest in his grace. So, we're talking about um, Temple 1. Pre-Temple 1, and the reality is, if you look at it, if you look at the language of God's presence, Temple 1 is technically Temple 2.0, because Temple 1, where do we find that? Any guesses? Where God's presence simply was, Genesis 1 and 2. Eden. There's so much imagery in the temple of the Garden of Eden, and there's so much emphasis. Even here, you see, this is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. And... Her priests will I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout with joy. The provision, though, he's speaking of speaks back to even Eden. And that was the original intent of being with God and enjoying his presence unfiltered. Um, So we'll get into just a little bit about where we go from here. Oh, I haven't really covered verses 17 and 18. And, and this is significant. There I will make a horn to sprout up for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. There again, we're speaking in terms of imagery. A horn in, in that day uh, could represent like the horn of a, of a male uh, deer or antelope, or the horn that is of strength like a, a, a tree. But the point is it's sturdy and, and stout. And the lamp obviously is indicating God's, God's light that we are all supposed to bring. But then he says, his enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him, And we're back to Jesus. A crown, His crown will shine. And again, the ascent that we're trying to get our minds around is an ascent from the footstool from Zion all the way to heaven. And so even in the temple, it has this sense of levels of holiness, right? So let's take a quick look at the, um, just the structure of the temple. And the temple itself is holy, right? And, and there were all sorts of requirements of cleanliness to be even near it. Um, but then, of course, the holy place was literally holier. And then the holiest literally was the most holy place. And we all know what... David is praying for in the psalm is the placement of of the Ark of the Covenant right there in the most holy place, right? And so, all all of the cosmos comes focusing down to this little box that holds a box. And then the box is this next one. It's a pretty cool box. It's pretty amazing. And it signified... Everything. The covenant God made with his people after he rescued them out of Egypt. And literally, his presence would sit on the mercy seat. And it's no coincidence that it's called the mercy seat. And that's right there between the wings of the cherubim and seraphim. And that speaks back, speaks back to Anna's artwork. The God of the universe. I mean, if you go back to uh, Solomon's dedication uh, prayer and his, announce, his, his, his uh, dedication ceremony, he's like, the God of the universe, we're going to build a house for him? It is that mind-blowing. It's, it's crazy. But God said, I desire it because I, be, I desire relationship, with the ones I created, he has that much love, that much desire, and that much pursuit for the people he loves and that's us i um I think I'd like to just kind of bring this back around to well and that was beautiful for David and that he had that kind of zeal. But wouldn't we want that kind of zeal? I know I do, and I know what gets in the way. Um, at some level, unbelief. I mean, Jesus made it. He couldn't have made it simpler when after he fed 5,000, they came back and they wanted more and and he said, well, you know, you should work for food that doesn't spoil. And they said, well, what must we do to do the work God requires? And he said, believe in the one he sent. And there wasn't a long list after that. It was believe in the one he sent. Believe that he's enough. Believe that he is God. I mean, we can't go into all the de- details of tabernacling, but we're going to end in just a minute, um, to hopefully give us a little bit of perspective. But first, I just want to talk about, okay, what does that mean for us? And the way that, that it's been coming to my mind, just thinking about we've been doing a lot of talk about why church? Why do we do this? You know, it's we don't go to church. We are the church, but why do we gather? And the um, sort of the metaphor that comes to mind Often when we're talking is that church, the body is kind of like a hospital, like a whole bunch of sojourners trying to get well. And even that sort of breaks down because technically when we know Jesus and we confess our sins and claim him as Lord, Our sins are forgiven, but they're still walking it out with the Lord, and that's where we need help because guess what is creeping all the time, and that's unbelief. And it comes out in various ways. And so a hospital then has to deal with all sorts of unhealth. I mean, I I got lucky and got a doctor that could put a new heart valve in when I had health problems. And uh, I know all of you have, chances are you've had some sort of um, encounter with the hospital. You know, whether it's the emergency room where you get driven in by a parent or a friend (laughs) or a stranger because they picked you up off a road, who knows, to um, an inpatient situation. Maybe go to the ICU. spiritually and emotionally in in this body in radiant with people experiencing all levels of unwellness and i believe and i've seen that the, that because of the promise that's proclaimed in Psalm 132 that God wants his presence to dwell And the promise has been fulfilled in Jesus that no longer are we trying to get that box just in the right place. That box is now our heart. His presence literally infuses us, and all we have to do is cry out. There's going to be darkness. That doesn't mean he's gone. It means we cry out more. Where are you, Lord? Jeremiah 2. And... And and it says that was a problem. In Jeremiah 2, it says that was a problem for the people. And guess what? It was a problem for the leaders that they weren't crying out, where are you, Lord? And we're still in brokenness. There's brokenness trying to just wash in around us, whether it's the brokenness of busyness, whether it's the brokenness of worry, maybe even shame and guilt because the sin that you just can't get away from The church is that hospital, and i tell you where it plays out. Um, Partly, there's a sermon on Sunday, but that ain't it. It plays out in relationship during the week. First and foremost, your relationship with Jesus. Can we commit to making a commitment to that kind of zeal and asking hard and good questions when that zeal isn't there? Put Jesus on the mountain, our mountain, with our eyes fixed on Him. And if not, guess what? We need each other, and that means being vulnerable. That's why we have DNA, which we, uh, which is a one-on-one, one or two people, two, three people in a small group, where you just open up and literally pr- pray. Because that's the stuff that grows belief. And you know what? Belief comes out as preaching. You know, we preach a sermon on Sunday, but you need a lot more preaching than that. A lot more. Like every day. And you could try to turn it on podcasts, but until it's coming out of your heart, you're not getting the preaching you need. And if that's bad news, I'm sorry. But it's great news. And the greatest news is there's every way possible to become a fluent gospel preacher to your own heart every morning, every afternoon, every evening. And Radiant wants to assist in that because there, is, there are literally ways to become a better theologian. It's not just about the um, putting in the time with the Word, but putting in quality time. But we want to be a church that's about that. And so this would be a great conversation this week in your GC. Do a zeal check. Do you have that urgency? And if not, get a little sheet of paper out and say, why not? Are we brave enough to do that? I hope so. And report to somebody what you found on your ZEO report. Because that kind of urgency is available to us if we pursue it with each other. So, speaking of um, just representation of God's presence, the altar. As we come and share and um, partake of communion, that's bringing your great tidings to God, and you're celebrating and thanking Him and remembering what He did. God's a rememberer, and we need to be rememberers also. So as you take the time to come and, and have a little cracker that represents the, blood, the body of Christ, Which was shed, and the blood that was, and the the juice, which is the blood he shed. Pray, if you need to pray for zeal, for his zeal, he will he will give you that if you're willing to put in the effort. So let's let's do that and let's pray right now. Jesus, you gave us the scripture. Uh, an ascent of ascents to look to Zion, the place you desired for your presence, until Jesus, Lord, you desire to be in our hearts, in our lives. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here now. God, convict us where we need convict us. Shore us up and strengthen us where we need shoring up. Because a hospital isn't just full of sick people, Jesus. There are a lot of doctors there. And you are in the business of making doctors out of sick people. Jesus, bless this this
0: people today. In In your name, amen.